the wrong side of the red line, Dallas Stars Podcast. Here is your host, Sean Shapiro. It's uh, July 3rd, and uh, the offseason's not over, but uh, as I put on Twitter out there a couple minutes ago, and uh, for the first time in months, Ryan, I feel confident enough to... Uh, to step away from my phone and not worry about having to get back to it and seeing an email or a text or something like that, that uh, there's some move I missed. So I'm, uh, summer has officially started for me, and uh, I guess uh, before we talk about everything, I should tell everyone a quick note on the qual- sound quality of this podcast. Uh, basically, Ryan's on vacation right now, and so we're recording this over speakerphone, and uh, we're doing what we can to, to get something done. Yeah, uh, vacation in quotation marks because all this is is our uh, our anatomy teacher didn't feel like showing up to uh, to school today. So instead of having a random off day on a Tuesday like the second years in my program do, we got grace for the four day weekend. But I also have two tests this week, so it's kind of been a a vacation with an asterisk next to it. But a vacation away from your computer, so that's why the podcast is getting recorded this way. So. Well, technically, my computer is in my book bag right now, but it's a vacation away from my microphone and whatnot. So I'm sitting on a porch right now in Bellevue, Ohio, enjoying an adult beverage while uh, while talking about what a glorious day today has been for the Dallas Stars. Yeah, what was, uh, Ryan, what, what's, what's, what's been your reaction to the Stars' moves in the past 72 hours? Um, well, my initial reaction today was I almost crashed my car because I got your text when I was driving on the highway, and you said, so, podcast today, and I distinctly remember talking on Thursday night last week that I was not going to be in town I wasn't going to be home this weekend, so I wouldn't have my podcast stuff with me. So we should just do it at the end of the week. So I figured that meant something really, really, really big happened. And then I made the, something you should never do, and I checked Twitter while driving, and I saw the news, and I almost crashed my car a second time. So, I mean, I, I said on Twitter earlier, and I completely left out the Ben Bishop signing. That's how kind of excited I was about everything that the stars have done in the last week and a half now, but if you went back to the end of the season and you not even, you made not even your ideal check- checklist for the offseason, you made your best-case scenario checklist for the offseason, the Stars have checked off just about everything they could have checked off by this point. They have, and you've got, they've got, I mean, to quickly recap everything, you've got, obviously, well, just right to, to, to leave, obviously, we Radulov off today, and, um, Radulov to a five-year deal. Martin Hansel, who, um, when we, Martin Hansel, who's a guy, I didn't even think they, I didn't really think about him into the offseason. I think he's he's a good ad and everything like that, obviously, but a guy that you wouldn't have expected when you made that list. They shored up the defense with Mark Mathot, obviously, in that trade. They uh, found the answer in goal with the uh, with, with Ben Bishop and obviously the coaching staff. Um, Ken Hitchcock came in and on top of Ken Hitchcock coming to the coaching staff. We know the assistant coaches, and I really like what they did. I, I don't think it can be stated enough. I really like what they did with the assistant coaches um, because I think it's going to be bring a good look to the special teams. And I mean, 
They are they are winning the off season and 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 I and I I even forgot to list the draft right there. They 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 got both players in the first round in the NHL draft that we had hoped they would get. And I mean, they are winning the off season and now obviously that has to translate and they have to prove that they can do that in the regular season, but they it's one thing for them, for Jim Nill, to go and when the season ends and says this is going to be a quick uh, reload. It's a reload, not a rebuild. It's going to be a quick reload. It's one thing to say that. It's another thing to go and then pull the trigger like he did on these types of moves and actually prove he meant what he said. And that's been the most impressive thing to me with all of this, all the way up to today with um, landing Radulov for five years. And I, I love that. I, I, it's a great contract. I mean, it's five years isn't too bad. And at 6.25, that is... That's a really good value, actually. No, for sure. And uh, let me try to, I want to try to break this all down as linearly as I possibly can without forgetting anything because there's just, I mean, there's so much to break down with it right now. It's, you mentioned the Ben Bishop thing. Dallas, assuming Bishop stays healthy and assuming Jay Cottinger develops into the player that just about everybody expects him to develop into the start, not only solidified their goaltending for next year, but they have a line of succession set up. So Dallas should theoretically be set in net for the next decade now so something that I mean something we've been talking about god it seems like since Joe Newendike acquired Kari Letton and six seven years ago or whatever was how Dallas but it's just god ever since I mean Marty Turco had his unbelievable season forever ago now it seems like we've been talking about at least I've been talking about what the hell Dallas is doing in that so to not have that theoretically not be an issue anymore is great and I mean, just talking about the Radulov signing, and that's what I love about these moves is they weren't only just calculated in how they're going to make this team better for the next year. Not a single thing that Jim Nill has added to his roster in the last week and a half is going to hamstring this team into the future. When you look at Washington, for example, they signed TJ Oshie to the contract they gave him, and then they traded or they signed Evgeny Kuznetsov to a massive restricted free agent contract yesterday and they immediately traded Marcus Kruger because they have no cap room whatsoever. Everything that Jim Nell has done is not going to hamstring this team long term with with me keeping my eye on after the eighteen nineteen season when Tyler Sagan is going to get when Tyler Sagan's going to get his fat extension that he's undoubtedly going to get. So and I think that's the most remarkable part that in this not that the free agent market was terrible this year. You can definitely say there were a couple of questionable contracts, but there wasn't, at least it seemed, for the type of market it was, you figured that guys like Radulov or Carlson would get worse than what they got. But in that climate to get, because, I mean, Radulov's 30 years old, and you, you retweeted a couple of, of things from the Montreal media about the type of work ethic that he had from the, and how it kind of caught a lot of people off guard. From the positive, from the positive, I, from the positive Montreal media, right, because there's, right, there's, there's exactly, some, there's, exactly. there were some Montreal media members today who obviously, uh, um, the, the ones that were able to look at in a vacuum, there were some who were talking about the positives with him. Obviously, um, you can go check my Twitter timeline to see some of those. Obviously, there's some other ones, and we'll talk about them in a minute who are a bit uh, hurt today, but continue. Right, because I think, especially, I mean, just with the reputation that Alex Radulov has as a player in North America is unquestionably not great. The way that he kind of handled himself in Nashville, and that, I mean, in both stints in Nashville, when he left for Russia the first time and then came back to finish off the playoff run a couple of years ago, it just, it, it, uh, I think it left a 
sour taste in a lot of people's mouths. So he kind of came over, and it really seems like he proved himself as a guy who could be a leader. I mean, that might be a stress to say leader, but a guy who you don't necessarily have to worry about, a guy who can kind of step into a role where he's more of a mentor for younger players. And this is just, I mean, this is completely off, and I'm sure something that we'll worry about next year, but he's a perfect guy to have as a mentor to Val Nachuskin on the team. But I love getting him for three years. I The cap hit is completely reasonable. I think if he continues to kind of work the way that he seemingly worked in Montreal this year, I don't think he's a guy whose production is going to fall off terribly by the time he's 35. So it's just it's, it's a seemingly perfect thing for Dallas. And then talking about Martin Hansel, I saw some, I think it was Josh Lyle tweeted the night before free agency started, we're going to see something where Dallas is, ends up signing a guy they weren't linked to at all in the lead-up process, and everyone's going to be like, what the hell just happened? And that was what it was with Martin Ansel. I woke up Saturday morning, and it's off. Huh, don't be surprised if Dallas makes a run at Martin Ansel today. And I just, that completely caught me off guard, because it se- they were seemingly set at center, and now there's just so many more possibilities that they can do with their lineup next year, and the flexibility it gives them is, is just fantastic. And this team, look, I mean, even after the expansion draft, and after they got marked, I thought this team looks completely different than it did a week ago. They look like a. Uh, I mean, they look. They actually look like a contender, and that's that's the that's the big thing here. They have. Uh, I love. We we talk about Jason Spezza, and I mean, it's it's one thing. Okay, I think my my favorite part about this is how they've improved each day over the last over the last. 72, 24 hours or whatever, 48 hours, whatever it is, because my math's terrible. But um, after the signings on July 1st, where it was Martin Hansel plus a bunch of depth, um, and it's good, you have to add depth, but I I played around with the exercise and I put out a potential lineup based on on the signings on Saturday. Because Jim Mill came out on, uh, on his conference call on Saturday on July 1st saying, we feel confident going into this season with the guys we have. And so just playing an exercise with that, fully aware of something probably else still would happen, this is what it would have looked like on July 1st. Them adding Radulov, all of a sudden, I know it's only one player, and you say, oh, how how big of a difference can one player make? Them adding Radulov all of a sudden turns their top six from good to potentially one of the top, to, to, to potentially depending on a couple factors, obviously, one of the best top six groups in the entire league. That's, that's how big this signing is. Um, I mean, you have Ben, ben Sagan-Radulov is going to be, that's can't-miss hockey. That's a line that if, you, if you're not a Stars fan, you want to watch. You want to watch the Stars play just to watch that line play. That's what that line can do. Uh, Stars fans have seen what Ben and Sagan can do in person, um, and uh, we got Radulov, having watched, I remember... Montreal only came here once last year. In watching him in person last year, I was very impressed with Radulov. The one game Montreal played in Dallas last year, he scored a very pretty goal that game. Obviously, that adds to it. But he's a guy who can dominate shifts. He can he can take over again. That that line itself becomes great. Then you get to a second you, second line where Martin Hansel. Um, I was looking at maybe Jan, Matthias Janmark. Obviously, we have to see what happens with his health. But hypothetically, you're looking at a second line of Matthias Janmark, Martin Hansel, um, and Jason Spezza, which is a line that can score. Um, having Janmark and Hansel together makes up for Spezza's defensive deficiencies and a group that can 
a group that you can play against the other team's top line, and this is important, and you can have them play against another team's top line, and you don't, and which also then opens up in more space for that your top line, your Ben uh, Sagan uh, uh, Radulov line, to do more against the other team's lower lines. I, I love what it does for their top six. It creates a very good. It's two lines that can do two different things, give two different looks. Then on top of that, you get a very heavy, just annoying group to play against that theoretically is Antoine Roussel, Radic Fox, uh, and Brett Ritchie. That's a group that could be really big, tough to play against. And then your fourth line, obviously, there's a ton of guys who are going to be bad. There's a ton of people that have to battle for that to figure out how that's going to figure out. But this looks like a lineup to me that can actually win playoff games. And that's the most important thing because the Stars... We've talked about what they can do, and, and, and Jim Nill's done a really good job of... Before he came in, there had been five years with no playoffs, and now the Stars have reached the playoffs in two of his four years. One year, they had the best record in the Western Conference. But what it really all boils down to, in the past four years, the Stars have only won one playoff series. And they now have a lineup from the goal out that can win playoff games. And that's something that you thought that, and you thought there was, and, and you thought that they had taken steps forward each of the past Julys, but this may be the most complete they've looked on in early July at any point in Jim Neal's tenure. Well, you hit the nail on the head with just what bringing in Radulov does for the lineup overall, because I, not only are we talking about from the perspective of now you truly have a natural right winger with high-end skill to match the other two guys you have on that top line. But the way it allows you to fill out your lineup, it, it, it's one of those things you see, like, I, well, I'll use the Penguins as an example because they're one that, they were the one that kind of popped into my head when I thought about this. When you lose, like, Pittsburgh played most of this last year without Chris Letang for injury, for injury reasons. And what that does is it forces guys to play up in the lineup where maybe they're not as comfortable playing. And obviously it hurts your depth overall. So now you're looking at a situation where you bring in Alex Radulov, you don't need to force a guy who like Brett Ritchie, for example, to play on your top line if he's not necessarily ready for that those minutes. You let him play down on the third line, in this case, where he's, the spotlight's not as much on him. He can just kind of go out there and worry about himself. He doesn't have that added pressure on him. And it helps you in that regard. What? I, and going with that second line, that, that hypothetical second line, I kind of, I can go either way on it. I, I feel like the... Handel saying that Hitchcock told him he wants him to be out there with his top, playing against the other team's top line players. I don't know that I'd necessarily want Jason Spezza out there in that same regard. But it's one of those things that I feel like at this point in his career, Jason Spezza's almost better suited to play on the wing. And he's not going to be as much of a defensive liability playing on the wing. So that way, if he's hanging up high, I mean, as your winger, you're generally playing up higher in the defensive zone anyway. So I feel like that's something that's going to suit him a little better. And then obviously you mentioned the bottom six. And what I really like is just, I mean, it's another thing that you can go either way on. I guess it depends on how you feel about the prospects that Dallas has in the system. But bringing in guys like Tyler Pitlick, for example, it just adds to that competition. So that way you can truly come into training camp and you have, I, I guess you could say that entire fourth line theoretically up for grabs and you have six, seven guys competing for it, you know that you're truly going to get your best players, your best possible lineup out on the ice every single night because you're going to have people fighting tooth and nail to be in the lineup. And, and let, let's talk real quick just about a couple other things on July 1st. And just because I, I know there was some people who saw, I know there was some reaction to the signings on July 1st of Flynn and Pitlick, 
where people were frustrated that said, well, this is blocking the door for the Jason Dickinsons, the Remy Ellies, and Jamel Smiths of the world. And my response to that is, have those kids win a spot. Prove to me they can win a spot. That's, that's my biggest thing on this, is I understand... I understand wanting the kids to, and I, the young guys to step up and be ready and, and be in the NHL. And Jason Dickinson can be an NHL player and things like that. But win the spot, and then it becomes, and then and then for, win a spot and force management to make a decision. And that and that's how I look at it. Because are we really? Do you, would you feel confident? I mean, t t some I know a lot of people have said Jason Dickinson. Oh, we want Jason Dickinson. I've heard people say they want Jason Dickinson anywhere from the, on that second line even to centering the fourth line. We're talking about a guy who has is coming off hip surgery last year, was good in the AHL, but doesn't has never played a has never played a full NHL season, and we, and we would want him to be in a lineup that is theoretically that is theoretically ready to um, we, we we would want him gifted a spot in the lineup for a team that it hopes to be in a win now mode. No. He, if, if Jason Dickinson's in the, in the lineup on opening night, I want it to be there because he won the job. I want, I want you actually to take, the take advantage of competition. We talk about competition a lot on this podcast. We talk about how, there's, how competition actually can breed results if done effectively. And the stars have the forward groups to do that. They have the, the amount of forwards as whoever's going to be in the lineup is going to have earned that spot. And whether that's Flynn, whether that's Dickinson, whether Remy Ellie, whether Jamel Smith, whoever it is, if they're in the lineup, they've earned that spot, and I love what that can do for the forwards. The stars can carry 14 forwards once they move. Once they move some defenders um, in the uh, in the, the pattern Nemeth Alexiak group, and I love what the step does. On top of that, I think you have guys who. I think one thing that's important to remember with Ken Hitchcock is he plays a system that you need to make sure you have guys bought into the system. And when you bring in a guy like Hansel, when you bring in a guy like Pitlick, and you and even even Brian Flynn, guys who came in to this system, knowing what to expect with Hitchcock signing and pre being prepared for that, that sends a big message when you can have a guy like that, when you can have guys like that throughout the lineup for somebody to, if there needs to be anyone to be pushed in one direction or to get on board, you have your soldiers, for lack of a better word, that will follow, that will help bring everything over. Like I, those depth signings, I understand where people are a bit concerned and saying, where well, they're blocking the kids. Push through the door and force them to make a change. That, that's my response to that because there's, I have no problem with depth in the bottom six. Solidify your top nine. Um, solidify your top nine like it looks like the stars have, and then let the and then let the then let the competition play out and forward. Actually, let something be open and see what can come out. And if Remy Ellie is in the lineup overnight, great, he earned it. Right, and it's aside from really Tyler Pitt. Like I feel like. If you look at any of these guys that say you have Jason Dickinson or Jamel Smith and they come and they win a spot in the lineup over Adam Cracknell or Curtis McKenzie or Brian Flynn, those aren't guys that Jim Nill's going to lose sleep sending through waivers. And if someone claims them, then someone claims them. They're guys that, while they bring value to the team, they're, they're guys who you can pretty much replace with just about anyone, really. So it's... The reason I say no on Tyler Pitlick is I feel like you don't sign a guy to a three-year, three-million-dollar contract and have designs on him being anything other than an NHL player. But I, I think it's a mentality that, and I 100% fall victim to this as well, is is overvaluing your own prospects, and it's almost like a video game mentality where 
you view everyone in a scope of being, you know, this is what this player is, and there's no other, this is what this player is from a, a talent perspective or whatever, and there's no other variables that you have to think in that influence that either. So, I mean, I get the mindset, I get why people would view that way, but it's one of those things that if, like, if you look at a guy like Jason Dickinson, if he doesn't win a roster spot and he starts the season playing top-line minutes in the AHL, what, that's not a big deal. It's, it's, I'd argue it would almost be better for his development to be doing that anyway. So it's one of those things that I think that the, the way that they kind of structured it is it's flexible where you have any of these seven guys that you envision, envision filling out your last five roster spots at forward, and it can go either way, and if you have to send one of them down, then so be it. No, I, I, we're we're in agreement here. I want to see. I want. I'm. It, it, competition's good. It's going to be. You want you you want to create that with your forwards. Now, um, we've. Now, obviously, there needs to be. There's still some moves in that competition. No, in talking about players, and we'll just touch on defenders here real quick. Obviously, um, after free agency, the Stars didn't add anyone in free agency. Well, they added a couple depth guys. Uh, Couple depth guys um, who will play in the uh, uh, Regner, who will play in uh, the AHL. Basically, he was in a sign for their AHL team, um, but they didn't add anyone that's going to be an NHL player on defense. And so, obviously, the two remaining uh, checkpoints for the uh, for the Stars for Jim Nell for the remaining of this offseason are basically figure out the RFA, uh, figure out the final contracts for Brett Ritchie and Radic Fox, and then figure out which defenders um, of that of that grouping are going to be gone. Um, to get to seven defenders, to get to seven defenders, so you can carry those fourteen forwards in the NHL and have that competition, and 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 you know what, and you can and you can carry whether it's Flynn's going to be the maybe Flynn, maybe Flynn's maybe the uh, Flynn, uh, Flynn who they Brian Flynn who they signed, he doesn't seem like a guy to me that is signed to be an AHL player. He looks to me like the perfect 13th, 14th type forward. He's a guy who's been in the NHL for five years. He hasn't played in the AHL since the last lockout. Um, and he played 58 NHL games last year with Montreal. And when he played, he averaged about, I think it was roughly two minutes per game of penalty kill time when he played. And so he's a guy where if he can be your 13th or 14th guy and he can add competition, and then when he does come in, he can kill penalties. I like I like that, and he's a guy you don't have to worry about his development. You don't have to worry about him sitting in a press box and not developing, like Jason Dickinson or Remy Ellie or whatnot. Right, he's uh, he's this year's Adam Cracknell signing, where it's where I, I'm pretty sure they gave him a two-way deal. So I mean, it, mm-hmm. it's one of those things that it's flexible. And yeah, you're absolutely right. You'd rather have a guy like that. So I'd rather have a guy like that filling out my fourth line slash extra forward role as opposed to a young guy who's better served playing every single night. I think one of the things that's encouraging, because obviously we talked about this either last week or two weeks ago, that Jim No really hasn't, the one thing Jim No really hasn't shown is the ability to kind of navigate the murky waters of this defense conundrum. But with them bringing in four free agent forwards to add to this group, I feel like that, that kind of shows in the tea leaves that he understands that they need only seven defensemen on this roster next year. Yeah, I'd, li- I'd, I'd like to, it's and it's one of those things where I actually asked Nil about it directly on his conference call on uh, on July first, and he said that he uh, 
Obviously, they're lo they're looking to do something, but if they go into nine with into camp with nine, it'll be competition and everything like that. And I think he'd be comfortable. And I, and I basically the way I read the way I read into this whole situation is Jim Jim Nill likes to keep everything close to the vest. I mean, um, I think the best example is we saw with with the Radulov uh, with the Radulov stuff. There's two different extremes on ways to handle free agents. Um, and we saw what Mark Bergevin, how Mark Bergevin in Montreal was very public with his comments. How he was, he, he was very public with his comments and very, uh, well, we can just say brash, basically. He, he basically, Bergevin was out there basically saying, we have, we have, uh, what did, he say, what did he say directly? Bergevin basically said... Yeah, basically, we have, uh, we have this, uh, this amount of money, and if, if they're not going to take it, then we're not negotiating at all. Yeah, and you have... I don't know if that's verbatim, but that was basically the gist of it was... Because it was right after they gave Carey Price the moon, Mars, and every other planet in the solar system, where he's like, you know, we have this much against the cap, and this is we have this much to deal with, and if these guys don't want to take it, then that's on them, basically. Yeah, and, and basically, so you had the one side where you had Mark Bergevin being very public with things like that and being very brash, and now after he didn't land uh, Bergevin, after he didn't land Radulov, he is a, uh, it's it's funny, and, and, and Jim Nill has been, to get to point point real quick, Jim Nill has been very, keeps things close. He doesn't tell people what he's going to do. And that's why we, where it's hard to read on what's going to happen with the defenseman. We don't know if it's going to be Pattern who's going to be the seventh. We don't know if it's going to be Nemeth who's going to be the seventh. We don't know if it's going to be Alexiak who's going to be the seventh. We just don't know because Jim Nill keeps everything rather close. Um, and just to transition back to Radulov, and I, I know I'm losing my point here, but it's it's been funny to me now to see the kind of the war of words that's come out about the Radulov signing after the uh, af after after he signed, where he was, where the Canadian, where the people, there's been people who cover the Canadians who claim that uh, the that that Bergevin had the same offer that the Stars gave a couple days ago. That's that's the report that Berg that. That the five years at six point two five million per that was offered to Radulov by Montreal a couple days ago. Now, Radulov was asked that point blank today on his conference call, and he and he said he wasn't offered that five days ago or whatever it was. He was offered. That's what Montreal after he agreed to Dallas. Montreal basically came to him and said, "Hey, would you sign for the same here?" And he said, "Well, he'd already signed with Dallas, and he's made a commitment, and he was going to stick with Dallas." So. <laughs> Who knows if Radulov's line or if Bergevin's line? I don't believe that. If Montreal, here, here's here's my take on it. If Montreal had given the same offer Dallas was going to give four days ago, we wouldn't be talking about Radulov to Dallas now because he was a guy who the big. Oh God, no! Because the big, obviously, the big thing with Radulov was the contract term, and he talked about that today. And I've been reading all about how. If he if it was about the money for Radulov, he could have gone back to the KHL and made nine million dollars a year. For him, for him, the main thing was the stability of a five-year contract. He wanted he had hoped even he even said today he had, he would in a perfect world he would have got an eight-year contract. No one was going to give him an eight-year contract. So 
But if Montreal had offered him a five-year contract three days ago, he would have been a Montreal Canadian already, and we would have never been having this conversation today. So, um, and also to all of the, to everyone who has been, the Montreal people that have been ripping into this and, and, and have been upset about it, Montreal had 60 days to get this deal done, at least, even more so. They could have signed an extension at any point in the past, in the past seven months. And the stars were able to find. And the stars were able to work a deal. The free agent talk. The period to talk to free agents started a week, uh, a week and a half ago now, and the stars were able to get something done in ten days. And if Montreal was really willing to meet what to give the same offer as the stars, this would have been done a long time ago, and we would not be talking about this today. I just, it's just it's just silly to me to think that. Especially the guy who said he wanted to stay in Montreal before this. He, he he enjoyed it there, so Yeah, I don't really know what Spark Bergevin is doing with his uh with his team. It's been kind of I mean, it's been baffling for the last twelve months, so I'm not really gonna spend too much thought thinking about it because it just hurts my head. Long story short, if if if, if there was a deal from Montreal that was the same as Dallas and it was really offered three days ago, it would have been signed already, and, and he would have been in Montreal. It's just, there's there, there's no way. Um, couple of, it's the, uh, the stereotypical kind uh, of spin on the guy's way out of town where you try to make him look bad so the fans are pissed at him and not you. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, he did a good job. If you go and you can go check Alexander Radulov's Twitter mentions, that's, uh, that, that's, a, that's a fun exercise right now. Twitter is poison, and I don't know why anyone has Twitter. Yeah, never tweet. As says the guy, says the guy who spent half of his day on Twitter today. Never tweet. That's the that's that's a good rule for life. Uh, yeah, no kidding. A couple other elements to this Radulov trade. We've talked about kind of what it does for the stars and brings uh, and, and and just what it adds to the lineup. The other interesting thing, and it's one of those things where I'd love to, just because of his media persona. Because of, because of his media persona, and obviously there's more personality there, but it's always funny to me when one of the reasons and one of the selling points for Radulov was Jamie Ben, the star, Jamie Ben, the star's captain, called him three days ago. Jamie Ben called him and talked to Radulov about the city of Dallas, about the team, and Jamie Ben was one of, and he did a good job of on the recruiting pitch basically to help sell the. Uh, one of the top free agents on his team, and that's what a uh, and it's something that it wasn't completely. I don't know how completely organic was. I know I asked Jim Nil if he knew Jamie reached out to Radulov and everything like that, and, and Nil acknowledged that Jamie's their captain. They keep Jamie uh, in the loop on everything. Um, so, but that's something that I think we have to look at too. Where it's it's just funny for me to look at and see. That there's the concept of this talkative Jamie Ben, who Jim Nill said, quote unquote, is the best salesperson for the stars, and then how he interacts with us in the media and does not like to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> you know how that, uh, that phone call started? Is Jamie called him and he said, Hey, I won the bubble hockey game, so you really don't have much of a choice. So, since you don't have much of a choice, let me tell you about some of the stuff you're about to get. That's really what he meant by selling him on Dallas. Actually, talk about, okay, I don't know if you saw this, talk about arguably the best low-key way to break a trade as a team. Um, I know you were driving and you saw it because I texted you, but... Oh, no, I saw that. 
Yeah. I saw that. that I, I cracked up when I saw that. But the stars basically... So Montreal kind of... So everything kind of on Twitter, how things played out this morning, and right after we talk about never tweeting, of course, um, how, how things played out on Twitter this morning, um, Alish Hemsky, former star, signs with Montreal for about a million dollars for a year. Exactly. Then about half an hour... Not even, maybe 15 minutes after that deal is signed and announced on Twitter, the stars tw uh, tweeted the picture of Jamie Benn that Jamie Benn tweeted, basically saying, sources say uh, Jamie Benn won the bubble hockey game. And then, and then radio silence for about 45 minutes before the actual announcement for the stars. It was... I have to give... Uh, I will have to give the uh, stars uh, social media crew some... Give them some props and some credit for that, especially when I see them this weekend uh, when the Stars have development camp later this week in Frisco. That was yeah, that was funny. It, I got a good kick out of that. I yeah, that was that was well played by the Stars there, um, by the Stars social media team. Um, we've talked a little bit about the uh, the big name signings and the. Uh, the Radulov, Hansel trade, the, not trade, the, the signings and those things. I also want to kind of touch on something that there's two lessons that we saw the Stars definitely learned from this past season. One thing is uh, they obviously realized how important depth is in the NHL after they go through a historically bad injury season, and they took that to heart and obviously signed depth. So if there is injuries... They have that depth this year. They took that to heart. The other thing they did, too, and this was kind of a league-wide thing, which was kind of interesting to me. Um, there was way more movement today, and maybe this was, and maybe this is because of the nature of the free agency class, so these players were focused on more earlier than they typically are. Maybe that's what it is, but there is more movement on July 1st that were moves that were clearly based to help your AHL team um, than your NHL team. And normally those moves aren't made on July 1st. Normally those moves come middle July, even late July. But the Stars signed, uh, um, in drawing a, I just drew a blank on his name, uh, Regner, the defenseman, in a move that was clearly to help their AHL team. They also signed, uh, and then in a move that I really like, they signed Mike McKenna, who's a, uh, who's a, who's basically, a 4A goalie, a goalie who played in the Calder Cup Finals last year with the Syracuse Crunch, and a guy who is a veteran, I think he's 34, he's 35, I'd have to double-check my math on his age, but can can basically be a veteran mentor for whichever goalie's in the AHL, whether it's Landon Bow or Philip DeRosier. And if there's an injury to Kari Lettinen or Ben Bishop, you have a third-string goalie that can play in the NHL, and the Stars didn't have that last year. Last year they were extremely lucky which is kind of funny to think. To stay, they were extremely lucky that they never had to go to a third goalie because they didn't have somebody else who play in an NHL game. Um, the Stars... Are, in fairness, it really couldn't have gone any worse. That's, that's true. It couldn't have gone much worse. It, it, <laughs> it really couldn't have. But, so the Stars took the lesson to heart last year that they needed depth. And they also... Their minor league team... The AHL team, the Texas Stars, have had a history of being a very good team. Before last season, they only, had only missed the playoffs once in franchise history. Then they missed the playoffs last year. And that's something the Stars don't want in their AHL affiliate. You want a winning team in Cedar Park. You want a winning team in Cedar Park. And it doesn't have anything to do with selling tickets. It doesn't have anything to do with that. It has to do with the fact that 
If the Texas Stars make the playoffs, Denis Garionov, Nick Kamano, um, uh, Gavin, Gavin Bayreuther are all going to be playing playoff games. Nicholas Hansen will all be playing playoff games in the AHL, and they and we and we've seen firsthand what that can do. Radic Fox that came in and played in the 2014 Calder Cup playoffs with the Texas Stars when they won the title, and that was a huge launching point for his career. Um, Basically, the Stars said we need to improve our depth, and they did that, and we need to make sure we put a product on the ice in the AHL that makes the playoffs. And they committed to doing that, which is on July 1st, which isn't the norm for NHL free agency. And I'm not sure whether that's this class or... Because, I mean, we also saw the Minnesota Wild do it, for example. I think the Minnesota Wild signed six guys to two-way contracts on July 1st. Um, and I'm, so I'm not sure if this was just... If this is becoming the new norm in the NHL, or if this is just a uh, caveat of this being a so-called weaker free agency class. Well, and not also, not also, not only does the added experience of playoff games, but kind of building off that experience, and I realize coming out of my mouth right now that this sounds stupid as hell, but it institutes a culture of winning in your young players' heads. Like, you see that stuff with some teams that you think just, the last couple of years, Edmonton, how god-awful they've been for the longest time. Like That wears on you. When you're losing and you don't know what winning tastes like, you don't get that taste in your mouth, you dread coming to the rink every day. If your team's doing great and you're out there winning games and playing great, you look forward to coming to the rink. It gives you... It, it's something that kind of gets you going when you're going... Like, just for down the line, when you you think back and you're like, man, we made that big run in the Calder Blood Cup playoffs a couple years ago. That felt great. I want that feeling again. And, God, I don't remember what the freaking quote was. It was something about hockey being, it was a completely made up bullshit quote, but I was binging Letterkenny season three last night because I didn't feel like studying anymore. And it was like, hockey is 90% mental and 10% something. I don't remember, but it's, it's, it's true. It's, if you have the right mindset, it helps you out a ton, and obviously winning helps with your mindset a lot. So, yeah, I, I agree. I don't know if it was, if it's just a complete change in philosophy for some organizations or if it was a product of the free agent class. I don't, I feel like that'd be an interesting case study that I don't have the time nor desire to really embark on, but it, it was definitely interesting for sure. Yeah, and also, I mean, it's something that uh, something to keep an eye on too. For it's it's so another thing to keep an eye on this week for the Texas Stars is, and they still haven't announced. And there's some AHL contracts that they still have yet to announce, and there's some AHL contract guys that will come in and, and add to the veteran presence and, and, and help the uh, and help and help mold those prospects because that's really. That's what a lot of those guys are. I know, I, I remember, it, it, I always enjoy, enjoys the wrong word, I laugh. I laugh at the first reactions, like when the Stars tweeted out that they signed Regner, and he's a defenseman, and you see people who tweet at the Stars' Twitter account basically saying, who, and who, are, who, who, and who are we trading, and things like that, when they don't realize bringing in a guy in Regner who, last time I checked, I think he plays, he's played 475 career games, that's experience that you want him to be. You want him to be on your defense playing with a Nicholas Hansen who's playing his first. Uh, well, he would, Nicholas Hansen's right handed, so he would. Uh, but he would. Oh, wait. Not, which one's right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to correct myself because I'm going to. 
Hanson's right-handed. Um, Regner playing with a, a Gavin Bayreuther, possibly, or a Dylan Hetherington, one of the lefties, and, and playing with a guy who has almost 500 games of, of pro hockey experience, putting these guys who are, are younger. That's invaluable. Like it, It's one of those things where Max Fortunas, the former Texas Stars captain, only played a couple NHL games with Dallas, but his impact on the NHL, uh, on the NHL team, you can see it all over the place, where the, the Foxes of the world and the... Uh, where the Foxes and the Richies of the world talk about his impact he had on them and how he helped them and, the tra and how Travis Moore and helped, helped, helped some of those guys to become pros. And you, and you need guys like that. And those are and some of the guys the Stars signed on, 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 on day one of free agency are really going to help the product down in Austin. And I know that there's some people who follow me on Twitter are going to be very happy about that. train of thought and then I kind of got lost on Twitter looking at the replies to Radulov's tweet that he sent out today and it was kind of I started to giggle in my head I hate sports fans sports fans suck is there a thing in the world that is more simultaneously poisonous and bringing a populace together than sports I don't know that there is uh, I'm getting way off topic right now, but I'm like halfway through this beer, and I really haven't had a lot to eat today, so I feel a little funny right now. What's the beer? What's the beer? It is Alesmith Brewing Company Double IPA. It is lovely. If you would like to try it, I would highly suggest it. Alesmith, if you are listening to this right now, you should sponsor us. Oh yeah, we are looking for uh, the uh, our podcast is listening for sponsors. So any uh, potential sponsors that are listening. Uh, Send me a uh, Twitter direct message and we'll chat. Or an email. I feel like email's a little more sponsory. Yeah, email, whatever. I, whatever is your preferred. Slide into, slide into Sean. Slide into Sean DMs. Whatever is your preferred uh, form of communication. I'm fine with either. <laughs> there you go. Oh, um, that pretty much covers free agency. Um, I guess one last thing for free agency just to touch on here is uh, when you look at Richie and Fox Orion, what do you think value-wise that you see with them? Um, stars have about Consider the Stars of about 4.7, I think, in cap space right now after signing Radulov. How do you look at the... Yeah, I, I think the number you drew out today, about 2.2 to 2.5 for Fox, is right on the money, and then I could see Richie anywhere between like 1.3 and $2 million, just depending on the length of the contract. Um, I... And there's a part of me that wouldn't be surprised if Jim Nils tried to lock up Radic Fox a long term, but after after how uh, not that they're comparable players, they kind of are comparable players. I would nah, not not like 100 percent comparable, but the way things kind of played out with Cody Eakin, how they gave him a uh, gave him his contract extension, and then he immediately fell out of warranty. I feel like that would uh, give me a little bit of apprehension from going anything other than a bridge deal with Fox, and just to see how the next couple of years goes. But I think. The Stars have more than enough money to get those two plus a new one-year deal for Alexiak in under budget. Mm -hmm. And I would, I would imagine Alexiak comes in probably right around a million, maybe even identical to Nemeth's deal, which was a nine. I was going to say he'd probably get about what Nemeth got if I had to guess, maybe about fifty grand more or something like that. But a mm -hmm. seeming, I mean, not insignificant amount to me because if you wanted to give me fifty dollars right now, I would probably mouth kiss you. 
everybody, but in terms of a salary cap perspective, fifty thousand dollars isn't that much money. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, there is, uh, and, and I mean, we're at the spot now where we've pretty much wrapped up most of the off season now. Obviously, uh, I know the Fox uh, and Richie deals. Um, there should be no concern; those will get done. Um, there, there should be no concern that. No, it's a foregone conclusion. Yeah, so those those will both get done, and and last update on that, where Nil has been communicating and and, and they're working on it. Um, everything everything there should get done. Have have no pause about that because why they are free agents, they are restricted for restricted free agents means something, and they can't go anywhere. Basically, um, and, and and GM yeah, and, and GMs are. Uh, and GMs are scared of offer sheets because they're, they're afraid. Definitely afraid. Because if uh, if you if you offer sheet my guy, then I'll offer sheet your guy, and that's what will happen. And all of a sudden, it becomes that's 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 the biggest fear with offer sheets in our face. Um, any uh, free agency, Ryan? Let's talk about the stars players that went elsewhere. Obviously, Hemsky ends up in uh, Montreal for one million dollars, which actually I think is a uh, that's actually a good deal for Montreal. I think Hemsky at a million is not a bad deal for Montreal. Um, you have Patrick Sharp takes the... I can't even... Patrick Sharp takes 800K in base and 200K in bonuses, which I think are easy to meet. But basically, Patrick Sharp takes a million to go to Chicago, which is... that. That's even more... That's almost, that's more, that's almost more of a discount than Brian Campbell took to go to, go to Chicago. Um, yeah, that was... Uh... That's more than a hometown discount. That's almost a, uh, I just want to play here, so I'll take whatever you got for me. Because I, I, even if Patrick Sharp isn't able to play until mid-December, which everything, I mean, and Stan Bowman could just be pumping it up because that's what GMs do. It sounds like he might be on the, he might be ready to play before that. I can't believe that somebody didn't give him at least, wouldn't, I, maybe somebody offered it to him and that's how badly he wants play in Chicago, but I can't believe that he didn't get at least two mil, because I figured that, I get that he's 35 and coming off arguably the worst year of his career, plus a hip surgery, but the experience and the talent that he still has, it just, that kind of baffled me that his base was that low, but I mean, if you want to go somewhere that bad and you just got off a year where you made six million dollars on money's not really much of an object, I guess. Patrick Sharp's like the, uh, Patrick Sharp signing with the Blackhawks is like the old retiree that takes like a job as a bus driver or like a crossing guard just for the insurance benefits. Yeah, no kidding. Can we talk about the uh, what what was up? I mean, we saw it with it for some weird reason. It started with the coaches, but it kind of kept up with the players. All these weird homecoming things that are going. You got Sharp going to Chicago, Hartnell going to Nashville. There was like two more that I can't remember off the top of my head right now because mm-hmm. I still can't retain information. Mm-hmm. I don't get it. It's well, I get it, but it's it's kind of just 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 it feels like I'm just living Williams in 2009 again. Yeah, uh, Justin. Did you say Justin Williams going back to Carolina because that's a homecoming there? I did not. Yeah. that was that was one that I forgot about. He got freaking four times what Patrick Sharp got. That kind of baffled me a little bit too. But actually, think about it. We're in a year where Patrick Nemeth's cap hit is higher than Patrick Sharp's. Oh wow, that's uh, I didn't think of that. That's kind of alarming. Yeah, that's pretty wild to think. Um, that's sharp. There was Hemsky went to Montreal. Um, 
Auntie Niemi goes to Pitts, signs for Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh for 700k, um, and he's going to make more from the Stars this year than he will from Pittsburgh after the buyout. And I just, I, I just, I still don't, I don't understand the the Pittsburgh Penguins PR spin on the Auntie Niemi signing just had me laughing, like. They were talking about how, oh, there's now both goalies in Pittsburgh will be Stanley Cup champions since anti-Niemi's won a Stanley Cup. They talked about how where Niemi ranks and wins the past couple years. And then Jim Rutherford basically says in his conference call that Niemi's going to play somewhere between 30 and 40 games this coming season. And that's... Oh, man. That's, that's, oh, I saw that, and I'm just sitting here thinking, are you planning on Matt Murray getting hurt missing 15 games? Because Anthony Niemi should not be playing that many games for you, even in a worst-case scenario. Yeah, I mean, it sounds Unless like he was already... that confident in your D. It sounds like he was already planning for Murray's inevitable injury at some point this season. Like, that's what it sounded like when he says Niemi's going to play 30 or 40 games. I... If anything, if anything, and as I saw one Pittsburgh beat writer tweeted, this is the only reason I would know this, the Penguins have 19 back-to-backs this year. So Antti Niemi, at yeah. most, should play 19 games. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. They have 19 back-to-backs. He should play 19 games, should play part of the back-to-back, and that's it. Because he's not, he's not a viable NHL goalie anymore, and I, I, I don't understand that one at all. Yeah, um, I'm not really 100% sure, but I mean, I guess if you have faith in your defense and not be total garbage, then maybe there's something there, but I still don't see it. But I mean, if you're paying your backup goalie $700,000 or $800,000 or whatever they gave him, I guess it's, you know, whatever. Yeah, but I I mean, NHL league minimum is going to be 650 this year, so he's just above league minimum. Uh, Mm -hmm. I, I, that one, that... The signing and then the statements after baffled me. Um, talk about a, I guess we could call it the reverse Marion Hosa and uh, Nick Benino going to Nashville. Yeah, that was a. Uh, I didn't understand that deal. I I figured there'd be a couple guys who got paid more than they're seemingly worth, and I didn't think that guy'd be Nick Benino. But I mean, you're already he's, if he's going to be your number two center, and you're not expecting him to be the guy to carry your offense, then at least you don't have to uh, worry about there being too much pressure on him, but that was one of those deals that I kind of scratched my head on a little bit. Well, and then Nashville decided, the other thing, like, I wasn't sure what they were doing there, were they, uh, who, who was the defenseman Nashville just traded for, too? Um, Yemelin. Yemelin. Yeah. They, they, tra- they trade for Emel- uh, Yemelin, and... Is that a trade for him to actually be there, or is, I mean, or it seemed like maybe it was a backup plan to open up for the trade for Matt Duchesne? I mean, I guess Matt Duchesne's the last big shoe to drop, right? That of actual consequence. I know there's some names out there, like I know Yager's still a free agent and things like that, but the last big shoe to drop of this NHL offseason is Matt Duchesne. And so, did Nashville trade for Emelin? Yeah, Yemelin to have a. Uh, to have a backup plan so they could trade a defenseman to Colorado, I, that was that was interesting to me. That would make sense in theory, but I I one of my buddies was texting me that he texted me after the Radulov signing got announced, and he's an Isles fan, and he said I'm still hoping they get Duchesne, and I'm like, well, why didn't you just trade it for him? And I, I feel like that would have 
I don't know why they didn't just do Amex or do Shane. And he said, well, apparently that wasn't good enough for Joe Sackick. So I don't know what the hell Joe Sackick is doing right now. I don't think Joe Sackick knows what Joe Sackick is doing right now. So, I mean, I, I you're right. I don't I, – obviously there's some players out there who still have name value, namely Yarmer Yager, but at this point in his career, he's not a guy who's going to really move the needle in terms of – Oh, yeah, we just signed him, and he's going to be a big production because, I mean, he's a guy who's good for 40 points still at least. But in, in terms of big-name, high-producing guy, I mean, not that Duchesne was really great last year, but Colorado was enough of a dumpster fire that that's really not his fault. So I don't really know what's going to happen with him. I Nothing that Colorado does surprises me anymore. They've kind of taken that uh, the mantle from Edmonton as the, uh, the black hole of the NHL for the current, the current time period. Yeah, where it's the side, and I mean, Yager, side note, Yager would be a great fit in Vegas in my mind just because of, uh, just, you talk about name brand and ticket sales and stuff like that, and I'm not even talking from Yeah, Rock. he could uh, endorse every casino in Las Vegas, Yeah, so he never has to pay to gamble there. Yeah, like, y- Yager would be a great fit in Vegas for that. Um, the, uh, you mentioned Edmonton, I mean, somebody, you talk about someone who's about to get paid in uh, Connor McDavid. That's going to be... Uh... Yeah, there's a, there's two guys there who are about to get paid, and it's kind of sucks for them that... I thought someone made the made the point. I, I always say someone because I never... I, re, I just mindlessly sit on Twitter half the time, and I remember the good points, but I don't remember who said them. But it's, it's so unfortunate that a team like Edmonton is about to get totally screwed in having to give McDavid and Dreisaitl like $22 million against the cap per year. It really sucks that they're about to get screwed for drafting well. I never thought I'd say Edmonton is drafting well in the same sentence ever. But you're investing. I can't do math in my head. You're, hold on. Math, math. You're investing what, between 25 and 30% of the cap per year in two players. And it's just, it sucks that you finally hit a couple of home runs in the draft. Not that, I mean, McDavid was a tap in for dry side. That was a very solid pick at number three. I think is that what he was. But it sucks that you're about to get screwed in that regard for drafting well to keep your own guys. Well, it's, uh, and I don't, and we're about to go down a, a hole here that I don't know, I'm not fully well versed in because, right. uh, because like, it's, uh, it's a huge rabbit hole. It's a huge rabbit hole, and, but, like, to take it even further, a further rabbit hole that, like, it's the one benefit, that's the one benefit of, now, the NBA is so much of a free agency, add guys later, but, the NBA, you have uh, there's the NBA is a soft cap where basically if you have a player, you can go over the cap to sign certain players that you drafted and things like that. Um, I don't know exactly how that works. I'm not going to touch that right now because I'm going to come off like an idiot if I try to go deep into that. And neither of us know enough about the NBA salary cap. But in the NBA, they have something in place to a, to give you a little bit of cap relief on that. Um, but it does. It sucks. Edmonton. I mean, and to to be fair, it's not like they dra- you say drafted well, and yes, but it's not like they were. It's not like they weren't going to take Connor McDavid. Um. You know what? You know it would almost be better because I hesitate to ever say anything like an NBA soft cap because then you get to this situation where you have a team like Golden State who's paying two hundred million dollars in salary every single year to keep their own guys, and they're just running woodshed over the entire league. What? I'm pretty sure the MLS does this where they have one spot where you can designate a guy who's not going to count against your cap, assuming, I don't think he's, I, you could modify it. I think it was just like a, 
it was it, it like came into play when the, I think the Galaxy signed David Beckham. God, it was probably ten years ago now. Where you have one guy where you can designate as he doesn't count against your cap. So, because I mean, in the MLS, the salary cap's like what one point five million or something like that. And they were paying David Beckham like two million dollars a year to play there. It all would almost make sense in the NHL where you take one year or what you have one guy a year where you can designate him as not counting against your cap, and then you build your team otherwise around that. And I mean, obviously, that favor big money teams like Toronto and Montreal more so than teams like Florida or Arizona or whatever, but I, I, I see it's all a fool's errand because there's going to be a freaking lockout in three years again anyway because contracts are exponentially rising and the salary cap is not, and poor old what was me owners are going to be whining again about all these dumbass contracts that they're handing out and how they can't afford them and blah, 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 blah. So I don't even know, I mean, it'd be a great idea in theory, but in theory it doesn't really matter with the NHL, so... Yeah, it's that's, that, that's your Debbie Downer for the day. Stars fans feel good about this team right now because we're gonna have another lockout four years. Yeah, that's that's the. Uh, it, it's sad when it's so well acknowledged that players are intentionally in, in certain years of their contract, all of their salary is signing yeah. bonuses. Because Terry Price got eighty-four million dollars, and seventy million of it is a signing bonus, so it's lockout. So he's getting that money regardless of if there's a season or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it, and it's just, it's so, like you think that, I mean, this is what, talking about rabbit hole, this is a rabbit hole that'll take us into the seventh layer of hell. But it's just, it's so unfortunate that as a league, you're functioning where fans just assume that every time your CBA ends, that there's going to be a work stoppage. Like that's, you'd think that people would sit down and think, hey, how can we fix this so this shit doesn't happen anymore? Because it doesn't really, I mean, it, 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 it seems like all these people are too willing to spit in the fan's face and not really think about the consequences of it. Because we're all just going to come crawling back anyway. Yeah. I want, I'm going to quickly spin this so we talk on something positive to end the day and spin this back to the news of the day. Radulov plays on the, uh, if Radulov plays with Ben and Sagan, which we think he will, his career high for point totals in the NHL um, was, is uh, 58 from the 2007-2008 season with Nashville, but he's scored, obviously spent so much time in the KHL. He had 54 points last season with Montreal, 18 goals, 36 assists. If you're trying to put a point expectation or... The idea of him playing with Ben and Sagan, let's just have fun with this. Where could you see Radulov in the point ledger? If you asked me that question on last year's Stars team, I'd say 90. With me not knowing off the top of my head what Ken Hitchcock's Dallas Stars team is going to look like, I'm going to go conservative and say between 60 and 70. I feel like it's a safe bet, assuming that he is playing pretty much every game alongside riding shotgun with Ben and Sagan. Mm-hmm. If, I mean, if, if Patrick if Patrick Eves can score become turn turn into a thirty goal scorer playing with Jamie Ben, then uh, a guy who's actually a natural goal scorer and Patrick Eves, I'm not trying to rip on Patrick Eves, but Patrick Eves is not a Alexander Radulov. Um, Alexander Radulov, no, not at all. Alexander Radulov should be in a spot where uh, he's gonna. Uh, I think. Uh, 
and I, I don't I don't play daily fantasy sports, so I don't know if I'm if I, I might be completely wrong in saying this because I don't play daily fantasy sports. But I remember people saying like if you're playing daily fantasy sports, the way you do it and you wait the way you win apparently is you take guys who are all on one line. So like. Because if one guy gets a goal, then you'll also know you're going to bank on the points. You'll get three times the points because of the assists and everything like that. Um, the yeah. Radulov, Ben, and Sagan are very attractive fantasy hockey options for next season. For those who play fantasy hockey um, and, um, and actually pay enough attention to their team, unlike some people like myself who forget about it and then remember with about three weeks left in the season. Well, yeah, you look at that. Like, just looking at everything that the Stars have theoretically constructed right now is even with the depth that this team has, that line's still going to be expected to kind of be the standard there. Because you look at the second line and it's hypothetically Antmark, Spezza, and Martin Hansel. We're looking at a guy in Matisse Yanmark who really has one full season of the NHL under his belt is coming off of a potentially devastating knee injury. So who even knows what he's going to be? You're looking at a guy in Martin Hansel who I don't think's ever had 50 points in the NHL. And then you're looking at a guy like in Jason Spezza who obviously has talent, but he's on the back nine of his career right now. So I, as for the depth that Dallas has in this lineup, they're going to be able, I feel confident in saying, go roll four lines next year. But I don't necessarily feel confident in saying that any of those bottom three lines are going to necessarily be tearing it up enough offensively where Dallas still isn't going to have to be leaning on that top group. You need, you, I mean, it, it's one of those, well, you, you'll need that top group. you need your best play. It's terribly cliche, but you need your best players to be your best players. Uh, mm-hmm. It's terribly cliche, but it's true. You need your best players to be your best players. And on top of that, if you can have your Fox Align contribute one night and have the, if you can have the Fox Align contribute and score one out of every three games, and then the Hansel line can score two out of every three games, and your fourth line can throw in a point here or there, it, it works out well enough. But you need your top line right. to be your, your standard bearers. And this isn't going to be like last year's Stars team when they were running up six, five games on everyone, where they're going to need to score more than the other. They're going to have to outscore you. This is going to be a team that I feel like most people aren't even going to recognize. It's going to be like a throwback to the Dave Tippett days when... Dallas is finishing first in the conference while their leading scorer has not this isn't necessarily a, a apples to apples comparison, but back when Dave Tippett was running the stars and they were finishing first or second in the conference when their leading score put up sixty eight points or whatever. It's gonna be one of those days where it's not, you know, necess- I mean obviously Dallas has talent on this roster to score. I feel like with a lot of teams in the league, especially when you look at that top line. But it's not going to be one of those things where it's going to be four lines running and gunning out there. It's going to be a lot more of a balanced game, yeah, I feel like. And I, and I think your top score is going to have more than 68 points, I think. But I would hope so. We'll see. I would hope so. Yes. Um, I, I, either way, it's one of those where I'm happy for uh, after today. Like I feel, as I said when we opened this podcast, I feel happy and I feel good now that I can step away from my phone. I, it's a nice, calm period. But... I'm also really looking forward now to October to see how this all gels oh, together. Me too. Me too. I, God, it's going to be great. I, it, after this past season and the, and the poop fest that it was, it's going to be, it's nice to be excited about hockey in July. Yeah. Well, with, uh, with that, I'm going to let everyone go. We've I, got... Uh, I, 
I do. No, nope. not yet. Okay, I do want to finish with a happy note. Okay. Yeah, I do have. I do want to finish on a happy note. Gotcha. So uh, I feel like a lot of people aren't going to listen to this until July fourth. Mm-hmm. And on this day, four years ago, Jim Nill pulled off one of the greatest heists in NHL history. And I just want to say to everybody, Happy Tyler Sagan Day. Happy Tyler Sagan Day. Good way to uh, good way to end it. Everyone, uh, happy Tyler Sagan Day, and you know what? Also, happy uh, happy birthday, America, as well. Yeah, I guess that too. <laughs> and uh, with that, Ryan, go enjoy the rest of your vacation. Grab another beer. Quote unquote vacation. Yes. <laughs>